This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I'm going to carry on actually with our Blueprint series today, and uh, it actually ties in beautifully to Father's Day. Um, and so um, it's actually going to talk, it's going to line up with our series but it's also going to line up uh, with fathers. And so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to picture this in two ways. I want you to picture this in how we build the local church, the house of God, and how you build your own house with your own families. Um, And so the principles that I'm going to share this morning tie into both, um, but I just thought it's appropriate with this series that, that this works out perfectly with Father's Day. So I thought, you know, I'm going to just keep going with this series and tie it in. Uh, Let's just pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this incredible day uh, that we can celebrate our dads, but most especially that we can celebrate you, our Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you so love the world that you gave your best. And it's for that reason that we're here this morning. It's for that reason that we can celebrate. Lord, we're so grateful this morning, Lord God, that we have an identity in you. And it's out of that identity, Lord God, that we can do and be exactly who you've called us to be. Father, we pray this morning, Lord God, that you'd help us to have a whole new perspective on the house of God, but at the same time, have a whole new perspective on our role and responsibility within our own house. Lord, that we would make the house of God in our own house, Lord, the best place in the world for people to come to get refreshed, rested, strengthened, equipped, empowered to be everything that you've called us to be. We give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Just quickly, just to kind of reiterate the the context of what we're talking about with this whole Blueprint series, the Blueprint that we're talking about in definition is God's unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. What we've seen throughout Scripture, and especially according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, is that God always builds according to a pattern. He builds according to a pattern. And what we want to be able to see is what is the pattern that God is is done, and what is he designed to do, and how can we follow that blueprint? How many know that um, it's great to have our own ideas and our own concepts, but at some point we've got to look at God's word and say, okay, God, what do you say about this particular issue, and how can I follow that with my whole heart? And so, um, about four weeks ago, in week one, we talked about the gospel, um, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of salvation through him forgiveness of sins, all of those things. Um, But what we tied it into is this concept of a new baby being born. Just the same way a new baby being born, a new baby coming into the world, Jesus himself in John 3 actually talks about that same concept for someone who comes to Christ for the first time. It's like a new baby entering the world. The second week we talked about a family. So if you can picture that hospital room again, where that doctor, that midwife, that nurse takes that little baby that's just been born, and the first thing that is on their mind right away is to give that little baby back to mommy and daddy. In other words, to give them to a family. That was week two. Week three, uh, which was a couple weeks ago, we talked about those parents taking that baby and not staying in a hospital, not living in a hospital mindset or mentality, but actually taking that little life and bringing them home to their house with their brothers and sisters and, and the whole dynamic of what a house looked like. Well, what we're going to talk about this morning is how to be a builder of the house of God. God loves this building language. It's actually something that's literally found all throughout Scripture that He builds, He builds, He builds. That's 
what he does. And so Matthew 16, 18, one of the most um, incredible passages in the entire New Testament. I love this whole chapter, really. But this particular little part here gives a lot away. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Say, build my church. Come on, say, build my church. He will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, there's an amazing thing about this picture. Number one, Jesus starts by giving Peter a new identity. You're no longer Simon, but you're Peter. I'm calling you Peter. You're not a reed, you're a rock. I don't know about you, some of you just have to believe that you have a new identity in Christ. That's the first part that you've got to get. But the second thing is he says this, here's your mission, build my house. Take care of my house. Build my church to be everything that I've envisioned it to be. The very thing that I died for, that's what I want you to build. Third thing is this, you're going to be victorious. If you have the right identity, you build what Jesus is building, you're going to be victorious, not just over the circumstances of life, but you're going to be victorious over the enemy's plan and purpose over your life. How many know the enemy doesn't like us? Right? Okay. How many know that the enemy has something that it wants to do in order to trip you up? Whether it's distractions... You know, I liked our, the, the, the leader of our fellowship in MFI sent out this email about three weeks ago, and and I just so gravitated towards it. It was basically talking about decluttering your life. And his very, I think it was his second point, he talked about weapons of mass distractions. And I thought, that's brilliant. Because how many times, it, sometimes we, we think the enemy's after us in these profound ways, but at the end of the day, one of the greatest schemes that he uses is to distract us from our right purpose, to distract us from the thing we should be doing. And so I want you to know today that God's giving away his blueprint. Get our identity right. Build what he's building, overcome the enemy. Get our identity right, build what he's building, overcome the enemy. That's the same pattern found throughout the New Testament. It's things that even Paul and Peter references in the epistles later on in the New Testament. But I want you to see this morning that there's language here that God uses. I know we've already referenced this verse, but I want to use it as a springboard this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're part of the household of God. How many are grateful for that? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together. So joining together, being built together. Picture a puzzle piece. Joined together, built together for a greater purpose other than that one puzzle piece. That's the cool thing about the purposes of God. That's the cool thing about the kingdom of God is that your puzzle piece is important, but what's more important is how we fit together to form the whole picture. So there's something bigger than ourselves. You are joining something that is bigger than yourself. And I want to say this respectfully um, to the profession that I came from. Um, and so, uh, maybe some of my former co-workers will hear this message one day, and I don't want to say this disrespectfully, but before I got into pastoral ministry, I was in social work. I was a social worker. That's, that's my background. That's what I was in for a number of years. And I can honestly say in the 13 years that I had involvement to some capacity in that field, there isn't a lot of transformation There just isn't. Now, am I grateful for the different programs and ministries and things that are out there in our culture? Absolutely. Will I refer people to them? Absolutely. 
But one of the things that I've realized is that it's not transformative in power. It's, it, it helps, it aids, it supports, it comes alongside, but it's not necessarily designed to transform a heart. But this institution does. As a matter of fact, it's the only institution in the world ever created by God that has the ability to transform a heart. The church of the living God. It's huge. Those words joined together, built together, it literally means to render close, to be joined together, to be fitly framed together. It goes on and it talks about to be composed as in a company of uh, or in harmony, just almost like a symphony. It talks about being built together to construct together. This whole language of building is at the very forefront of what Jesus does. He builds people. He builds into people. He builds up people. He edifies. He encourages. This is the whole concept of Jesus' life. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the book of Nehemiah about the nation of Israel, Nehemiah, um, in, a, in a group of men, uh, it's just a small group of men, that actually came back to Jerusalem, saw the ruins of the city, saw the walls that were broken down, were so, so hurt by what they saw, so bothered by what they saw, that they made up their minds, we're going to get permission from the king in Babylon to build this wall and to make it look like it used to, but even better. Because they wanted to restore the city of Jerusalem, the house of God, and the walls surrounding the city in such grandeur that it would give honor to God and what all the things that He has done for them. So Nehemiah chapter 4, it references a little thought that I think is cool in relation to what we're talking about today. It says, Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families. Interesting. And with their swords, their spears, and their bows, every one of the builders, key builders, had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. If I can say one thing as a father to fathers this morning, is there's always two things that you have to carry in your tool belt when you are parenting and when you are building your house. Number one, you need to have the right tools to build what you want to build. If you want to build a certain thing in your house, and I'm not talking about a physical structure, but I'm talking about building into your children, you have to have the right tools. Number two, you also have to have weapons to deal with the enemy. You need both. Some people ignorantly say, well, if I just build up my kids the right way, everything's going to be fine. Well, no, there's sometimes that you've got to learn how to pray and intercede for your children too. There's sometimes you've got to protect them. I love that video because it actually showed both. It showed how dad protected and also showed how dad built up. also showed some other things too, but that's a topic for another day. But this whole idea of builders is to build, to construct, to fashion, to fortify to set in place to restore. To set in place and to restore. Uh, I'm going to use a definition for this concept of builder this morning, and I hope it, it works. Uh, it's, it, as I've kind of put together these thoughts and these concepts, I, I really think this works. A builder is a person who strengthens, adds to, and supports God's house, the local church. It is a person who strengthens, adds to, and supports God's house. I can honestly say this... Um, being in church most of my life, um, seeing p positive church experiences, seeing negative church experiences, being in the midst of both of those things, and anything in between, here's the conclusion I've come to for the last 40-something years of being in church. 
Churches that are built on a multitude of builders that have a building mindset are a powerful church. Nothing can hold them back. Nothing can stop them. Most churches, unfortunately, fall into the camp that most people are not builders, which makes the effect of that house limited. But it goes on in this whole word that Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. It's actually the Greek word sokodomeo, and it literally means to build together with excellence. It's the concept that it gives away. Churches that are truly successful, houses that are truly successful, are houses that are built together and built to last. That's the concept uh, that we want to talk about this morning. I just want to very quickly mention 12 uh, attributes of a builder. And I just, again, this can apply to the church. This can apply to your own home, dads. Uh, but I want to just mention 12 concepts that are given away in Scripture um, about attributes of a builder. So number one, a builder is an active participator, not a spectator. Two, a builder is an owner of the vision. How many know that you can tell the difference very quickly between someone who owns something, owns the vision of something, owns the purpose or mission of something, and somebody that doesn't? Right? And that can be anything. Look at work. Look at coworkers. <laughs> you can tell the difference fairly quickly with a coworker who's all in and one who's just getting his paycheck, if you know what I'm saying. Right? Doesn't take much to figure out. But this concept of being an owner of the vision. Three, is a team player. They understand that when you're building something, one single part will not make or break every single thing. But it's the concept of the whole. We're building together into something that's beyond ourselves. Four, a builder is attached to the life of the church. I remember reading an article a number of years ago by a pastor by the name of Paul Scanlon. He's a pastor over in Bradford, England. Great, great, great communicator. One of the best communicators I've ever heard. And he talked about the difference between, between being attached to the church and attending a church. Attached versus attending. And how many know that we can be around something by attending, but you, you may never feel that concept of the life flow or the lifeblood of a church until you're attached. You can feel good about certain things, or you can observe certain things and look around and go, yeah, I like this, or I like that. That's awesome. But there's a whole difference between attending or being there versus being attached, actually experiencing the life flow of a church. We see this in families where you see, um, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say this to, you know, to kind of nitpick on a particular age bracket, but you see as your kids grow up and to become teenagers, they often disconnect from the family for different reasons. We're not here to get into what those reasons would be. But here's the one thing that I've, I've literally seen. One of the most incredibly important times in anyone's life is the teenage years. And I say to you parents this morning, stay close. Even if they don't want it, stay close. Even if they don't want to connect, stay close. Why? Because you have life that can be imparted onto them. And you know what? The moment will come where they'll wake up and go, you know what? This family's pretty good. <laughs> I want to come back, or I want to be all in. I want to not just attend certain things. I want to be attached to the life of this family. Amen? Uh, four, a builder is an initiator. I love that. Or Sorry, that's number five. A builder is an initiator. Six, a builder is a lover of people. They're the types of people that look out for the new people. They look out for those that are coming. 
They look out for those that maybe within your home, home, uh, home context, they're hurting. You're looking out for them. You are a lover of people. Number seven, a builder is a person of faith. They don't get, they don't get worried about the things that the enemy is doing. They don't get worried about the fear-filled things that are trying to tell you what you can't do. There are people that say, why not? Why can't we do it? Well, it hasn't been done before. doesn't matter. Why don't we be the first? Faith-filled people always think, why can't we be the first? Why not? That's how I think. Number eight, a builder is a prayer warrior. All mom said, amen. Nine, a builder is a faithful steward. In other words, they're, they're, they are people that are giving of the things that God's given them, their time, their talent, their treasure, all the things that they have that they can give back. They are a good steward of it. They are, they are wise with what they do. Number 10, a builder is a doer of the Word. In other words, they obey the Word. They follow the Word. They're more interested in fearing God than they are in fearing man or fearing humanity, right? Or the response of humanity. Number 11, a builder is a bridge builder to the lost. They're constantly connecting. Constantly reaching out. Constantly being that hook or that hinge to bring someone to Christ. And number 12, a builder is a magnet of God's presence. Wherever they go, God's presence seems to follow. Why? Because they are in building mode. They, are in, they know that without the lifeblood of their relationship with Christ, they can do nothing. They are completely hindered in doing anything successful for the long haul because they realize without God's presence, we can't do this. Amen? Now, there's different attitudes that we can have, and I just want to mention five building attitudes and just describe them very quickly, just to give you a picture of what this concept of being a builder in the house of God looks like. So there's some key attitudes that are vital to the health of God's church and to your home. Number one, you need a building attitude. Can I say this? How many have ever been around somebody that looks at every situation, and the first thing out of their mouth is always the negative? Glass half full, or glass half empty, it's not going to work. Well, did you ever think of this, 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 this? How many have ever been around somebody like that? All right. Oh, no one. Okay, that's good. Oh, wow. Just three of us. All right. I want to hang out with all the people you hang out with then. Because, unfortunately, I see some of the negative in different people. They speak builder language. They don't discount what they see in the natural, but they speak builder language. We're going to build. We're going to do this. We're going to see change. We're going to see transformation. This is how it's going to happen. I don't know when, but we're just going to keep plugging away until we see it. Right? That's builder language. You can hear it in people's conversations. You can hear it in people's confessions. Like, it doesn't take very much. You know, it just is. Number two, a loving attitude. A loving attitude. This is the attitude of warmth and compassion to those that are around them. They go out of their way to serve, to minister to people. Why? Because they have a builder's attitude. They have a loving attitude. Number three, a faith attitude. They rely on God's Word. They trust Him. That's where they're tracking. Number four, a hope attitude. They give people something to look forward to. They give people something to look forward to. What's ahead of us? Victory. What's ahead of us? Breakthrough. What's ahead of us? Lots of really cool stuff. Or you want to jump on the train because we're going to see something that's awesome. Those are the people that are hope attitudes. Number five, a rejoicing attitude. They're thankful. They're grateful in every circumstance and every perspective. See, sometimes things don't work out. It's okay. The builder responds very differently. They look at things very differently. They have a different worldview. 
So as far as building and expectations and, you know, even what we would see at Impact Church, sometimes it's, every once in a while, I think it's important that as the pastor of the house, I give not just kind of a generic response to specific, or to certain things, not just kind of an overview to specific, or to certain things, but to actually give specifics in what we would look for or expectations of what we would look for from our hearts to yours. Because we think builder. That's what we think. The proof of that is we're church planters. We didn't come and take over a church that already existed. And I'm not against that. I have a lot of friends that have done that. But within our heart, we're church planters. We're adventure addicts. Sorry. But that's what brought us here. We just love to build things. We love to do something. We love to not just sit still and wait for eternity to come. We are going to be dropping dead while doing the work of the Lord. Because that's how we think. We cannot stop thinking like that. I cannot turn the button off. Sandra and I have at times tried to find the button on each other. We can't find it. It's just not there. So when we wake up in the morning, we think, God, what can we do today? It's how we think. And so sometimes I feel it necessary to be able to express to our church from me, the pastor, the daddy of the house, what does this mean to me? What does this mean in my life? And so I'm going to share things that are meant for all of us, but it's been, in some ways, the journey that God has taken me on in my, I'd say, even the last 20 years. Okay, we good? So build your expectations for me and for this church. Some of them revolve around ministry kind of expectations. Some, some of it revolves around philosophy of ministry. Some of it revolves around behavior or personality stuff. But I just want to land on a couple of core thoughts that to me has been something that God has touched my heart and my life with over the last number of years. Number one, builders have a vision for multitudes, but care for individuals. I want to say it again. Builders have a vision for multitudes, but care for individuals. One of the things that small group ministry has really solved in the last, I'd say, 30 years in churches is making a large church small. Making a, a you are number one of 217 on a Sunday morning to being one of eight or seven or 12 or 13 on a Tuesday night with a story, with needs, with gifts, something that you can share within the context of a small group. Something that you can come to church and you can find those people that you've connected to and sit with them. Enjoy life together. Talk with them after. That's, that's the concept of this whole thing. Matthew 9.36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Builders have a vision for multitudes. Why is this important? Now, I want to say very quickly, if you create a church that's all about numbers or church growth, we got a problem because the focus is the wrong thing. But if you put your focus on health, church health, how many know that healthy things grow? Right? If your whole mantra is on, we're going to grow, 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 but you don't want to build something healthy, then you're going to maybe have a bigger church, but a whole pile of mess later on. Okay? I'm not against a messy church because humans are messy. Come on, someone give me an amen, right? (laughs) 
Some of you are thinking of your children right now. Anyhow, okay. But they're messy. But what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus' heart, God's heart for his house, is to fill every nook and cranny with people because that's his heart. His heart is humanity. So is God about numbers? Well, in one sense, no. But in one sense, yes. Because he is literally concerned deeply about how many people are going to live for eternity with him. So he's thinking, how many houses do I need and how can I fill them? And if we don't have enough houses in the city of Kingston, we've got to raise up more houses, the church, in order to fill the needs of people. One of the things that we talk about even at a pastoral level, and I actually had a conversation with our, a couple of guys at our pastor's breakfast on Wednesday, and the one conversation came up, like, can you imagine if every church was full and we were doing three services every Sunday? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I can, I can. Do you, can you imagine that if we were so full, every church in the city had to plant three other churches in the city just to hold the need? And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Why don't we do it? Why not? And that's how we think. Builders have a vision for multitudes, but care for individuals. Amen? Two. This is a big one. This is something God had to knock me over the head with about 22 years ago. He really had to knock me over the head with this one because I never saw this. I never thought this. I never got this. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. You'd think to yourself that I should have got this point, but I didn't get this point at all, ever, until I was 22. And then God got my attention. He gave me the, the Thor hammer on top of my head, and I got it, okay? Builders come to church gatherings expecting God to move. You know what happens the moment you come expecting? It happens. Whoa. Aren't you glad you were sitting down for that moment right there? Mind-blowing. It's like, whoa, pastor, like you're just, wow. Do you have your Ph.D.? In certain things, maybe. Nothing recognized by the province. But of course, it's all good. Builders come to church gatherings. And I, wanna, I wanted to write church gatherings because it doesn't mean church. Small group, prayer meeting, one-on-one -on -one at a Starbucks is a church gathering because where two or three are gathered in your name, there's Jesus is with you. So Starbucks, I want to see being taken over by the presence of God. I'm serious. Then they don't have to do the, take the day off and do some specialized training on how to deal with certain people. The next day off that they have to take is, how do we deal with the presence of God in our stores? Three people got healed today. Um, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I know it wasn't the cappuccino. It must have been something else. Right? But this is how we have to think. Builders think, come to church gatherings expecting. John 2.17, I love this. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. One version says, has consumed me. Can I, can I put out a little plea to our church? 
And don't throw things at me, okay? And I'm going to say this as a worship team member, and I'm going to say this as the pastor, because I see both. Church starts at 10 o'clock. But you know what I would love to see? I would love to see all of you at prayer at 9.30. I would love to see us fill the prayer room so much that we have to come in here to pray because we don't have enough room to hold everyone. I would love to see us, once we're done praying, praying if this is a, your house and this is your church, that your mandate on Sunday morning is to, I'm going to make sure that I check my kids in at 9.45 so that from 9.48 until 5 to 10, I'm going to meet all the new people that are coming into this church because I want to see them and have them feel the same thing that I have felt here. Nothing is being hurled in my direction. The axe throwing has not started six days early. Yes! Woo-hoo-hoo! Yeah, I love it. Because I'll tell you what, the worship team feels it. They're not going to tell you that because they love Jesus and they're here for Jesus. But they can feel it when everyone comes in third verse of the second song. Come expecting. Come expecting. Come like, God, you're going to show up and you're going to blow us off the chair and I'm going to be ready for that countdown because, Lord, I'm ready to just blast off my chair. Before the first, before Austin starts to tap his drumsticks, we are in heaven. All right. That's a good point. Thank you. All right, all right, number point. Sorry. Number three, and again, this is something that God dealt with me on. Builders are givers. There was, um, <laughs> there was a video. How many know of Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick? Okay, I'm not here to necessarily promote his church or anything like that, but I, um, although they have a really cool color of orange. That's cool, eh? I love that. Um, and he's a phenomenal speaker. He gets me going. Every time I listen to that guy, he gets me going. But they had this, this, um, this moment. Uh, it happened about three or four years ago, and it's something that just rings true in my heart. And they had this massive water baptism service. So for us, we usually have, you know, three to six people getting baptized, which is awesome. They had 450. They're a church of 10,000, and they had 450 people get water baptized on one Sunday morning, and they had these water troughs, like, you know, what a cow would drink from? Everywhere around the sanctuary. They were everywhere. And people would come in a line get dunked, come out, next person comes in, gets dunked, comes out. 450 people got water baptized on one day in one service. I'm sitting there going, that is awesome. And then the very next Sunday, he stands up at the beginning of his message and he says something that is so bold, it just like blew me away. And I, and I thought to myself, man, he really took a risk by saying that. But once you hear his heart and you understand the purpose of what he was saying, it's like it's very profound. He stood there and he says, I would like everybody who got water baptized to stand to your feet. So there's like literally 450 people across this congregation. There's like literally 10,000 seats. So just to put it in perspective, the K-Rock only holds 6,000. That's another 4,000 seats on top of the K-Rock. Just to put this into perspective. It's huge. And he gets everyone to stand up and he looks out in the congregation. He goes... Everyone's standing. I want you to listen to me. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. Everyone's listening. It goes, last week was the last week that Elevation Church was for you. 
Now you're part of the army of God. Get your marching orders because we're ready to go. And I listened to that and I went, wow, that's bold. But he has a point. Think about this. We live in a consumer mindset. Everything about our culture is consumerism. It is completely foreign to Scripture. It's completely backwards to what Scripture would say. It's not about consumerism in church. It's about how can I be attached to the life flow of this church, receiving life and giving life, receiving life and giving life. It's like the heartbeat takes in, gives out. Takes in. How many know if you just keep taking in, taking in, taking in, your heart's going to blow up? And if the only thing you do is give up, you're going to dry up. Or if you just keep giving out, giving out, giving out, giving out, giving out, you're going to dry up. There's going to be nothing there. Either way, the result is you die. So Jesus himself, the way that God's created human beings, has literally gave us everything away. It gave everything away. You take in, you pour out. 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 That's the concept of the church. It's the concept of your family. It's the concept of everyone involved in your family. That's what God wants to do. Luke 6.38, it says, Given, It will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. you take in, you give out. Same concept. Okay, number four. All right. Four. Builders respond to the presence of God. Builders respond to the presence of God. I love uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's a sensitivity in people's lives who are builders to the presence of God. So what does that look like, on a, say, on a Sunday morning? Um, I want to give you just one little thing that I've noticed and it's, it is not an impact issue. This is a church-wide issue. This is like a business issue. This is a family issue. And this is the one thing that God's been dealing with me on personally. So this is a personal issue, but I'm going to share it with you guys. We have a culture filled with distractions. Right? How many know that there's something right now sitting beside your chair or maybe in your pocket? It's, it's about this big in... Some of it has a little name on the front saying Apple, and some of it says Samsung, and some of it says Blackberry, and some. It's a distraction. So here's what I want you guys to do. And I'm not talking about uh, cell phones in particular, but I want to talk to you about the presence of God and how easily the enemy distracts us without us even knowing it. I've seen people that are on the edge of experiencing a move of God in a worship service, and they hear a little ding ding. And they're like this. I've seen it in small groups. Oh, yeah. Ding, ding. Yes. Um, here's the, the, revy, the heavy revy that I had a couple years ago. The person that's texting you can't save your life. The person you're worshiping can. So here's what I want you guys to do. When you come to church on a Sunday, we want to honor the presence of God very specifically in this room. So that it can come in different things. How we talk. At the end of the service, if there's prayer going on at the front, let's make sure we talk out in the hallway. Okay, something as simple as that. 
is that we want to make sure that this is a place that's not a distraction for those that could meet with God. It is huge when we say, God, your presence takes presence or precedence over every single thing else. It's the thing. That's why we're here. Think about this. If someone comes to church and the presence of God hits them, it has the ability in one second to transform their life for all eternity. For all eternity. Let's reverence that in the house of God. Amen? Number five, builders do whatever it takes to serve. Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it as heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Number six, builders live to be an example of Christ to others. I love this verse. This is a verse that God wrecked me with about 25 years ago. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. In other words, we have to live. Builders live in the realm of what's beneficial, not what's permissible. How many know that sometimes we have permission to do a variety of different things, but that doesn't mean it's going to help the person next to you, right? So builders live in the realm um, of being an example of Christ to others. I, I'm going to skip. I had a thing in Ezra, but I'm going to skip it. I just want to come in for a landing this morning. I want to read 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. There's a variety of reasons that will distract us from being a builder. There's, there's a discouragement, there's frustration, there's, there's, uh, there's a whole pile of things. There's accusation, there's this, that, and the other thing. And that's what Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 talks about. But I want to land on 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's building you. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. That's such a key phrase. Take heed how you build. In other words, what is it saying? Make sure that you are careful and wise in how you build. Right? I don't want to see a show of hands, but I can guarantee that every single person in this room right now knows of somebody that made a decision that changed their life in a moment of not using their brain. Right? We know them. There's many. <laughs> right? There are many. I can say that because I have done that myself. And I have done things and my mom has prayed, Lord Jesus, get Cameron. Get him now before he does the dumbest thing. And then when I do the dumb thing, thankfully my mom's like, oh, honey, I love you, I love you. It's going to be okay. Jesus loves you. Just stop doing that. <laughs> you know, it's in tears, but she, tell, you know, she slaps me in tears is how she does it. It's the tears that make me feel convicted. And then I'm just like, I am the worst child that Linda Jeffs has ever had. And then I enjoy my sin a little bit longer. You know how it is. You know how it is. Come on, if we're being honest, you enjoy it a little bit longer. And then you come dragging your feet back home. I'm sorry. Take heed how you build. And actually, the word that's used here in the Greek is the word discern. Discern how you build. Discern what you build on. Discern who you build into. And God's heart for us this morning God's heart for this house and God's heart for, this, for your home is that we become wise master builders like the Lego movie and build the right things and build into the right things. And what we choose as builders in this house is to make God the center. He is the center 
of this house. He is the center of our home. Everything revolves around Christ in our home. We don't make a decision without us landing on what would Jesus want us to do right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 